read the verses um, 11 to 18. And then we also have Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17. And we read these in connection with what we confess in Lord's Day 21. So first of all, John chapter 10. Beginning at verse 11. Where the Lord Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own And my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And then we turn to Revelation 7. Beginning at verse 9. And there the Apostle John writes the following, inspired by the Spirit then. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So far, the word of the Lord. Let us sing in response hymn 69, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. This afternoon, I proclaim to you the word of God as we confess that in 
Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 21. Also like to read in connection with that articles 27 and 28 of the Belgian Confession. But we begin with Lord's Day 21. And there the, the church has summarized the word of God as follows. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God out of the whole human race from the beginning of the world to its end gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and every one, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism will turn to Article 27 and 28 of the Belgian Confession, page 510 in the Book of Praise. At least the one I'm using here. And there we confess Article 27, the Catholic Christian Church. We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation and assembly of the, of the true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, are washed by his blood and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will be to the end, for Christ is an eternal king who cannot be without subjects. This holy church is preserved by God against the fury of the whole world, although for a while it may look very small and as extinct in the eyes of man. Thus, during the perilous reign of Ahab, the Lord kept for himself 7,000 persons who had not bowed their knees to Baal. Moreover, this holy church is not confined or limited to one particular place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, yet it is joined and united with heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. Article 28, everyone's duty to join the church. We believe... Since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed and there is no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it content to be by himself, no matter what his status or standing may be, but all and every one are obliged to join it and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. They must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline, bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. To observe this more effectively, it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate from those who do not belong to the church and to join this assembly wherever God has established it. They should do so even though rulers and edicts of princes are against, were against it and death or physical punishment might follow. All, therefore, who draw away from the church or fail to join it act contrary to the ordinance of God. So far, our confessions. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, and 
boys and girls who belong to him. We sang right at the beginning of the worship service. We sang from Psalm 122, my heart, my heart exalted. I was glad when I heard eager voices call, come let us go now one and all to Zion, the house of God. Song of gladness about Jerusalem and about going to the house of God in New Testament terms. A song of joy about going to church on Sunday, being in the assembly of God's people. And if you sang this psalm, not only with your mouth, but also with your heart, you express joy in the church. Joy at being able to be here with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's good to be together as Church of the Lord, isn't it? All, all different people, different characters, different backgrounds, and so on. Some prosperous, some frustrated, some disappointed. Some with huge problems in their lives. Some who seem to have hardly any concerns. Some young making profession of their faith here this afternoon. And saying they embrace the promises made at their baptism. Some old made profession of their faith years and years ago. With all kinds of life experiences. All together we sang that same Psalm 122 about being glad at being together in God's house, being God's house, in fact. Let's never think that our being here this afternoon is just something we do because we're expected to do. This is a miracle in this fallen world that the Lord brings people together. This is God's work. The Church of Christ isn't something organized and run by people as such, not even by office bearers. It belongs to Christ, God's son. He bought the church with his blood, as the apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders. He bought the church with his blood, and he now lives to take care of it. It's actually gathered, defended, and preserved by Christ himself, as we confess, Lord's Day 21. He brings it together. He keeps it by his word and spirit. And that's why the church is confessed in the part of the Apostles' Creed about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I summarize the message for this afternoon then as follows the gospel of the church of Christ. And we see three things, three different angles of the church. First of all, it's a sheepfold of faith. Secondly, it's a hearth of love. And a hearth, I mean a fireplace. And thirdly, it's a house of hope. First of all, a sheepfold of faith. Now, this, this point has to do with what we confess in question and answer 54. And it's asked there, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? So you have to notice that it doesn't ask, what do you think about it? What, do you, what have you experienced about it? What do you feel about it? But what do you believe about it? The church, you see, is a matter of faith. And note, we don't believe, we also don't say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We believe in God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. What, but we believe a Holy Catholic Christian Church. Just like we believe the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. 
And none of us has ever experienced the resurrection of the body and what it's like in eternal glory. Books written about, about that, about from people who claim to have died and gone to heaven and then come back to life again. But I, I have a, my grave doubts about those kinds of experiences. What, when we say we believe a holy Catholic church, Christian church, that means that Christ's church is something we only know about and speak about out of faith. Just like the resurrection of the body and everlasting life. And faith is, as we know from Hebrews 11, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But then you wonder about the church as a matter of faith. Do we believe the church just because it can't be seen, because it's invisible? There are people who think that today. Say that the church of Christ, the the true, the real church of Christ is a sum total of all believers. And that those believers are spread through all kinds of churches and sects and maybe are not members or don't belong to any church at all. But all together they make up the real holy Catholic Church of Christ. And that it's, they, they say that it's actually an invisible body, a church which has no address, no buildings at all, no offices. But Lord, say 21 doesn't speak of, of an invisible church like that without any organization or without any office bearers and which people can't actually become a member of in certain places. On earth, think of how we confess answer 55 that members of the Holy Catholic Church of Christ are duty bound to use their gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit of the other members. And how are you going to use your gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit of the other members if you belong to an invisible body? Where are the other members? They're invisible. Think of Article 28, Belgian Confession, where we confess believers are obliged to join and unite with this church and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you going to join an invisible church and edify invisible brothers and sisters? That shows, too, that the Holy Catholic Christian Church is something we believe, and then, if we believe it, it becomes visible. It becomes visible and has an address. And think of how the Apostle Paul then, too, he addressed a lot of his letters in the Bible to specific churches, to the church at Philippi, to the church at at Ephesus. And think of the Lord Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches in specific places in the Revelation to John. But then you, you maybe wonder, so why do we need to believe a holy Catholic Church of Christ if it ends up being visible Well, that's because what makes a holy Catholic Christian church is invisible. You see, if you don't see the church with the eye of faith, if you're not looking at the church with an eye of faith, then what all you see is a bunch of people who come together regularly and perform certain rituals and activities and sing and preach and pray and give and so on. If it's not a matter of faith, then you just see a nice social support system. Maybe to hold people to certain morals and things like that. But you will not see it as the actual work of Christ and his spirit. 
But that's what we confess that we believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church. That it's Christ's work. We come together not because we like each other. He calls us together here. We don't just come here to meet some friends and acquaintances. No, we come to meet him here. He brings us together to hear him in the preaching, through the preaching of the gospel of his salvation. And what we do in the liturgy isn't about making us feel good about ourselves. Our praise and worship with songs and prayers and gifts is to honor him. It's about him. You see, if we don't see Christ in faith here, then no matter how beautiful, uplifting everything we do here might be, it's just human activity. The thing is, though, though Christ by his spirit works invisibly, and that that's what we believe, what he works becomes visible. So you start out with faith. You believe it. And then, for believers, the church becomes visible. That church can actually only be seen and understood in faith. Christ gathers his church. It's his doing. You only see that in action, in faith. And that's why we confess we believe a holy Catholic Christian church. And that also means we only learn to know the church from the Bible, the word of God. You know, if you think about all the, the texts, the Bible texts listed under question and answer 54 of Lord's Day 21. From the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, the Lord speaks about his church all the way through the Bible. The Bible often describes the church figuratively in metaphors, a vineyard, the vineyard of the Lord, body, body of Christ, bride of Christ, building, a temple, a flock. Think of how the Lord Jesus used the metaphor of a flock of sheep in John 10, which we read earlier on. He says there, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known by my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is the good shepherd who gathers the sheep of his flock together. He has been given those sheep by God the Father from eternity already. But he gathers them together by letting his word go out. Gathers them by his spirit and word. They come in when they hear his voice. It's his voice that attracts them to follow him. That voice has sounded all the way through history. That voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. That voice called Adam in paradise. Called Enoch, Abraham, Moses. That's why they followed the way of salvation in Christ. The prophets spoke his voice in the Old Testament. The apostles spoke for him after his resurrection that Easter Sunday and his ascension into heaven. He gave them the task to be his voice. And that same voice of the good shepherd goes out today, calls today. Wherever the word of the prophets and apostles in the Bible is faithfully proclaimed. The word of the voice of the good shepherd is heard. So what do we need to do? 
Listen for the voice of the good shepherd. Profess him and follow him. Belong to be living sheep in his sheepfold, his church. And we need to make sure then too that as church we continue, as church as a whole we continue to watch out for the hollowing out of what it means to be church, but to be faithful to the word of God. Watch out that we don't think like a lot of, so many do today, it doesn't matter what church you belong to. The sheepfold of Christ is only there where the voice of the good shepherd rings out. Where the voice of the shepherd is heard and heeded. Where the Bible is faithfully preached and fully taught and upheld. And if that's the case, that's the sheepfold where the good shepherd wants you to be. And expects to, he expects to see you there every Sunday with open ear in worship to feed you with the gospel about him. Also to discipline you, admonish you if you need that. So the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, just doesn't want his church to just end up being a nice social occasion for us where we meet like-minded people on a regular basis, and he doesn't want our Sunday worship to slide into formal automatism, either kind of a routine. That's what we do. No, he wants us to be together here because we love his voice. We love him and want to hear the voice of the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep, as we remembered last Friday, and who rose to give them life as we celebrate today. He wants to meet with us and by his spirit give us spiritual gifts. And, you know, if you see it like that, then you want to come here and you will come here with an attitude of gladness, wouldn't you? Like the psalmist, Psalm 122, came to the Old Testament house of the Lord in Jerusalem. My heart was glad. He says, when I heard voices call, come, let us go now. One and all to Zion, to the house of God. And when you come together, then that glorifies him. That glorifies him. And that encourages, then by that we encourage each other. Lift each other up too. To listen to his voice. And be one flock under one shepherd. The second part of the sermon is about the church as hearth, fireplace, of love. What ties us together as sheepfold of Christ's congregation? I mentioned something about it before. It's not because we get along so well together, because that's not always the case, eh? or that we all have the same likes and dislikes, or that we're the same class of society, or so that we all have exactly the same cultural habits. No, what ties us together in church is that we have and profess this personal relationship with Christ too. Because of that relationship with Christ, that vertical relationship with Christ, it comes to also a relationship on a horizontal level with each other. 
we discover we're of the same family. Brothers and sisters of each other. One family in Christ. That's what the communion of saints is. And that communion can also only be understood in faith. And that's why we confess the communion of saints. Someone who doesn't believe at all will see the church as a bunch of people with similar interests, get together, do things together, help each other when necessary. They just, they just by nature love each other, like each other. But in faith, you know there's a lot more to it than that. You believe that Christ so loved us that he was willing to be completely forsaken and shamed on the cross by God. That we might never more be forsaken by God. That we might be, not be put to shame in the end. And he was completely forsaken so that we might never have to go without communion with God. Christ gave up all the relationships here on earth, relationships with his family, his friends, his disciples, his followers, in order that we might always enjoy the relationship with him. And it's the relationship with him, that's what we share, and that's what binds us together. In spite of a whole lot of things between us, that draws us together. That relationship with him is then also a fire that burns in us and causes us to burn with love for one another. The relationship with each other grows out of the relationship with Christ. That's why the New Testament typifies the church also as a body, a human body, of which Christ is the head, and the connection with him connects us all together. The head at the top, and from out of the head, the whole body is connected and controlled. That's a wonderful metaphor, church's body. All the members joined to the head and then to each other. And necessary to each other. The spirit sent out by the head, Christ, incites all the members to love for him and also love for one another. It sets the hearts, the spirit sets the hearts of the members on fire for the Lord and for each other. In Lord's Day 19, we confess that by his spirit, Christ pours out heavenly gifts on us, his members, Lord's Day 20, we confess that the Holy Spirit makes us by faith share in Christ and all his benefits. So as members of Christ all together, we share in Christ. That's what joins us. We share in Christ and all his benefits. And then if we share in Christ and all his benefits, we also share in all his gifts. And then we share those gifts with one another. Because we're all different. We let others benefit from the gifts we have received from above. And we benefit from the gifts the others have received from above. And those gifts aren't meant to be hoarded by us for only ourselves, but to be shared. And that's beautiful if you think about it, really. The body has many members, and each member has his or her own function, the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12. But we've all been given something. We've all been joined together. And we all have a purpose in that body. We all have something to serve the others with. 
every single one of us, is necessary to the good functioning of the whole. Some the gift to organize, others the gift to help, and others the gift to encourage, others the gift to instruct, or the gift to pray for the others, or the gift to show courage in suffering. But all those gifts are Christ's gifts, and he gives them to you so that you may be a blessing to others, so you can let others experience his love in you. So if you think about it, there's lots to do in church, right? Lots to do in a church like this. There can be members here who are maybe becoming in danger of becoming estranged from faith, from leaving their profession. If you notice that, will you lovingly reach out to them, try to talk to them, maybe invite them for lunch, encourage them to hold on to Christ? Or will you pray for them? There are people who deal with trouble in the church. They have troubles in their lives. Do you show concern for them? Maybe leave a little note of encouragement in their mailbox at the back? Try to help them keep their hearts on the Lord? Or do you think, let somebody else do it, not my job? No, brothers and sisters, this is something each of us is called to think about doing, caring for each other. And it's often just the small things, like in a mailbox, a little slip of paper in the mailbox that mean the most. The Lord Jesus says that if you even give somebody a glass of water in his name, you do it to him. I believe the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints... You believe that, but we can only experience and see it if our hearts also burn with love for Christ. Then we see the church, and then we also realize what the communion of saints is about and our task in it. The church is a hearth of love, too. We come to the last part. Church is a house of hope. So question and answer 54. Holy Catholic Christian Church. 55, the forgiveness of sins. And then finally, 56, uh, 55, the communion of saints. And then finally, 56, the forgiveness of sins. Now, you, you wonder, is there some order in that? Like, where does this forgiveness of sins come from? What does it have to do with the other two? The church and the communion of saints. There is a connection. In the church... In the communion of saints, you have saints who are sinners. That's the reality of this life. The Bible talks about it. We all experience that sad reality, don't we? We're all saints, called and sanctified in Christ. But as long as we're in this life, we all still have that sinful nature in us. Saints with sinful natures. But as the form for baptism also says, if we through weakness, and that's the the assurance at baptism, the promise at baptism, if we through weakness fall into sins, we don't need to despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, but we need to flee to Christ. The thing is, congregation, the gospel which covers our sinful nature and our sins doesn't bring to despair, but gives us hope. 
And the church is a house of hope. In the church, the gospel of the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, is taught, is professed. I believe the forgiveness of of sins. For the sake of Christ, God will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life. But will forgive me through Christ's blood. As far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our sins from us. What a wonderful message to hear in church every Sunday again. Through Christ, God cleanses us from all our sins. After a week of sinfulness, walking in that struggle against sin. Congregation, to hear on Sunday again, your sins are forgiven in Christ. And to be able to believe that message, that you're reconciled with God. That's the greatest gift of all. The greatest benefit from Christ, which he holds out to you here, personally, in the church. Through the word and the sacraments, he holds it out to you. And that's why Article 27 of the Belgian Confession calls the church the assembly of believers who are washed with Christ's blood. And that's also why it says, outside of which there is no salvation. Don't look for it somewhere else, it says. That's what we confess. Look for it in the Christian church, the Holy Catholic Christian church. That's where you need to look for salvation. Those words reflect what we read then in Revelation 7, the gospel of the great multitude nobody could number. The full number of the saints, all the elect. There are people, we're told there, who have come out of the great tribulation. And that's life here. Life here is the great tribulation. They've come out of that great tribulation and have washed their robes And made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And the Lamb will shepherd them. And lead them to living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Congregation, that's the hope of the church today. Today too. That's where we believe we're headed. And nobody can stop believers from arriving there. No government No persecution. Death will not part us from him. That's what we confess to in Lord's Day 21. That we are and forever shall remain living members of that church of Christ. That means that believers who have died still belong to the Holy Catholic Christian Church too. Forever. They make up the part of that gathering which is in heaven already. The church triumphant is sometimes called. And we here on earth are the church militant. And the church militant struggles in the hope of joining the church triumphant in heaven on the last day. And on that day, when the Lord comes, we'll truly be one great multitude praising God, the sum total of all God's elect. And then the church will be a beautiful bride without spot or wrinkle for the bridegroom. And there will be no more need for ministers or office bearers anymore. I'd be unemployed there. 
because the administration of the salvation isn't needed anymore because we see Christ himself in person. Then there won't be any need for mission or evangelism anymore because everybody there will know the Lord as they were known. And then the church will not be something that starts off, we have to see and experience in faith, but it will be that great multitude, complete from all times and places, which God showed John before the throne, praising God and the Lamb, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Congregation, let's make sure that all of us here, also you young people, profess your faith here today, that we'll all be there and join in that great song of praise. Amen.